I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Thorough Talk. I appreciate you joining me last week as we kicked off our inaugural show. And we talked about three important questions. If you remember them, they were about your past, where have you been, your purpose, why are you here, and then finally, where are you going? Do you see yourself in different facets of your life going forward? And hopefully you got to know me a little bit better. Talk a little bit about my upbringing and uh, the switch swordsman that my mom was when (laughs) we got those whoopings back in the day. But today I want to talk about something a little different. Talk about potential. Now, the, the dictionary's definition of potential is having or showing the capacity to become or develop into something in the future. And it's, potential is a, just a very important word to me because it really changed my life. And I'll tell you how in a second. But, you know, as you talk about the potential in something, I always believe that all of us look at things through a different lens sometimes. People see some people see one thing and others see something a little bit different. Good or bad. We just uh, that's how we're we're wired. But uh, it did change my life. And it really happened in a in a, a sports sense. Listen, I didn't come out of the womb knowing how to play basketball. I mean there's certain players that have God-given talents. And I was not one of those kids that had a basketball growing up as a kid. I mean, look at kids today, and, I mean, they start playing early. They have these hoops in their home, and they have the portable courts outside. They have these leagues that they can start and play in at an early age. That wasn't me wasn't me at all I, I I was very very tall I mean my parents knew at birth that I was going to be tall I was a long baby my dad was six six my mom was six feet my mom used to joke to her friends about when I was born she used to say girl 
When I had that child, they had to open the doors behind the doctor because he just kept coming and coming and coming. And so they, they always knew that I was going to be, be tall. Um, and my siblings, you know, they, they were a little above average, but I was one of those kids that you could tell just by the fact that I was such a long baby that, that uh, I was going to be a way above average height. But I, I distinctly remember at the age of about 13 years old, I was six feet, four inches tall at 13 and had not picked up a basketball ever. Basketball just wasn't my thing back then. Uh, I I was more kind of the, uh, I was into schoolwork. I was into things that school offered like clubs and different things like that. I was on the debate team. Okay, all right. I was a nerd. Uh, I put it that way. I was probably the tallest nerd in the county. But those were the things that I was interested in. I played instruments. Now, don't laugh, but these instruments were cool back then. I played the trombone and I played the tuba. And uh, nowadays they might not be considered sexy instruments, but back then, you know, you see this six foot three guy with a sousaphone wrapped around him in the, in the marching band. Uh, I enjoyed it. I was in the chorus. I was on different clubs in the school. So those were my, my main interests. But I definitely remember the day that I first became interested or inspired to at least learn how to play a sport. I obviously knew what basketball was, but I just had no interest in, in sports at the time. But let me take you, let me take you back to my house one evening, and I can close my eyes and, and, and see that house today. My mom had this forest green couch right in the middle of the living room, and she loved that couch. And forest green, think about it. That it was an ugly couch, but don't tell my mom of that. My dad was sitting on the couch. You couldn't spill on my mama's couch either. She had this really thick, clear plastic on it, right? You spill something, it kind of rolls off. But you couldn't spill on mama's couch. My dad was sitting there, and he was watching. I'm going to lose some of you here, but he was watching our Zenith black and white TV set. And if you've ever had a Zenith TV, you know, you know, you young, young people that are possibly listening, Back then, we had these rabbit ears, these antennas that sprouted off the back of the television. And uh, sometimes my, my dad, when he was watching his favorite program, he'd have me stand and hold it so the picture could come in perfectly. But that particular day, he was, he was uh, watching a basketball game. My dad loved basketball. He played in high school and uh, never pushed me or any other kids into playing my older brother and sister were in the sports, but I had just not been interested in any sport up until that particular day. Let me tell you what happened. I sat down next to my dad, one, because I love spending time with him, and I realized he was watching a basketball game. The first thing I noticed were the cool short shorts the players were wearing. They just don't make them like that anymore. And I was asking my dad all these questions about what was going on. Dad, what are they doing right there? What did that mean? And my dad was so patient with me, too. 
But at a certain point, my eyes didn't leave the TV set. Because even though I didn't know a lot about what was going on, didn't know any of the players, my eyes were transfixed on one particular guy. And man, I knew right away that he was the best player on the court. He was elegant. It's like he was just gliding down the court. And he had the best hairstyle that I'd ever seen. He had an afro that came out to, I mean, it was it was huge. And he'd turn and run down the court. His afro would kind of turn and shake and follow. It was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And you could tell that he was one of the, the, the tallest players because he'd hold the ball with one hand and he'd hold it in the air and there were a couple of guys guarding him that couldn't reach the ball. But he took off down the court and he jumped in the air and it was the most amazing thing I had ever seen in my life. It was like poetry in motion. This guy wrapped his arm underneath the rim and banked it off the backboard and the ball went in and it was just, I was taken. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you saw something or you heard something Maybe it was some kind of a, a concert or somebody sing or whatever it was that just caught you and inspired you. And what happens to you is your heart kind of starts beating a little faster, right? And you get like really excited. And part of you is like, man, I wish I could do that. Wish I could do what I just saw. And that's how I felt. I remember that feeling. It was such a good feeling. And I asked my dad, I said, dad, that guy's pretty good, isn't he? He said, which one, son? I said, that, that guy right there put my finger on the TV set. He said, yeah, son, that's one of the greatest athletes in the world. I had no idea who he was. I said, Dad, who is he? He said, son, that's Dr. J. And I had no idea. My next question to my dad was, Dad, I didn't know doctors could play professional basketball. But my dad quickly told me, he said, no, son, that's his nickname. His name is Julius Irving. But when you're that great, they give you a nickname. That's the day I learned who Dr. J was. And that's also the day that I learned that I wanted to be him. Now, I know that some people that sounds crazy. How can you be another person? I wanted to be that guy that day. And a lot of times when we get excited about something, yeah, we're excited for the moment and it kind of dies down maybe after the game or the show's gone or whatever it is we were excited about is over it kind of dies down but for me it stayed the game was long over a day went by and I was still excited about this Dr. J guy I wanted to know more about him so I had my dad collect as much information as he could about Dr. J and and, uh, I had this catalog he started with pictures and he found some basketball cards with the bubble gum in it and articles out of newspapers and magazines because I couldn't let this Dr. J thought go out of my mind. I tried to watch as much as I could on TV when he was on. But I wanted to be him. And I didn't know how to play basketball. So how in the world was I going to accomplish that? Well, I figured that if I needed to learn, I would go to the closest person who I thought could teach me a little bit. And that was my dad. So I went to my dad and I said, Dad, can you teach me how to play basketball? I think my dad was like shocked. He said, absolutely, son. I remember going outside because we didn't have one of those portable courts. I don't know if they hadn't been invented yet, but um, we didn't have a park to go to. So my dad 
being the genius he was, he had a saw because he was a carpenter. He had a big round plastic garbage can. He cut the top off about three or four inches deep. And he had one of these big long nails and he nailed it right into the side of the house. Mom wasn't very happy about that, but it was something constructive, something I wanted to do. She was all for it. Pulled up some weeds to help my dad kind of prepare the ground for it, pulled some weeds up, and he had some sand that he found somewhere and put it down there. I had my makeshift basketball court. I remember my first lesson. My dad didn't bring the ball out. I was looking for the basketball. I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to learn how to play, there's got to be a ball. He had one. He just didn't bring it out then on that first lesson. He said, son, I want you to bend your knees and put your hands out. This is called a defensive stance. I want you to just stay there until I tell you to stand up. So I stood there for about 30, maybe more. seemed like eternity. My legs started to shake. That lactic acid started to kick in. And I was about to buckle when my dad said, stand up. He said, that's the most important position you could ever be in. It's called preparation. If you're in that position most of the game, because I'm going to teach you how to do other things, I'm teach you how to shoot, and hopefully teach you some things that Dr. J does. But I want you to understand what preparation means. And so my dad was the kind of dad that, yeah, he was teaching me something I love, but maybe I didn't learn this till later, that he was trying to teach me some things that I would probably need to know beyond the sport. So he taught me a few things, and here I am on this kind of Dr. J quest to be Dr. J. I grew my hair out. My fro was getting bigger. I could never grow it straight. It was like always leaning on one side, but um, Dad bought me, Mom bought, Mom and Dad bought me some, some of those short shorts. Um, those were, I won't get off on a tangent of how important short shorts were back in the day, but uh, I remember going to seventh grade and thinking about Dr. J's journey. I walked by the, the gym in the junior high school and I saw the sign, basketball tryouts on such and such a date. Come join the Bladensburg Junior High School basketball team. And Bladensburg, Maryland is where where I was bused to school. And so I was so excited for that day. I remember the day came and I walked into the gym at 6-4 and my dad hadn't been able to teach me much but I walked into the gym and there were about 50 other kids trying out for the team and as soon as I walked into the gym I had my my gear on I had my Converse Chuck Taylors that my parents found size 14 and uh I noticed something. I got this big smile on my face because my confidence level had just risen. I may not have known a lot about the game, but I knew the rim was 10 feet from the floor. And I knew at 6'4 that I was closer to that rim than any of these guys trying out because none of the guys came past my waist. So think about it. If you're in my shoes and you're trying out for a basketball team, the rim's 10 feet from the floor, and every other kid in the gym is like, four foot, whatever you want. Uh, the chances of me making that team are going to be great. So I walk into that gym and my confidence is high. We're going to take a break and I'm going to come back and tell you what happened next.
stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back to Thorough Talk. And before the break, I was telling you about my experience, my Dr. J journey. Once I found out that he wasn't a real doctor, my journey to become this person that just inspired me, inspired me to want to be like him, to want to emulate him, to want to get to know him. Uh, that catalog my dad had started was starting to grow. I read articles about him doing things outside of playing basketball. And I, I'd hoped one day that he would maybe come to my community and my school or something. I'd be able to meet him and talk to him and ask him questions. So here I was, walking into kind of the next phase of that journey to become Dr. J, walking into that gym for tryouts and um, I walked in there and everybody was short I'm just going to put it bluntly they were a lot smaller than me and so the coach lines us all up at the very beginning of the tryout there's 50 plus in that gym and he says okay I want to see where your skill levels are early so I can know how to coach you and how to break you into teams. So my thought was that he was going to put the really good kids aside and then some of the ones that needed help like me, uh, even though I, I knew how to do a few things my dad taught me, we'd be in another group. So he started, and if you could imagine this line of kids, I was like right in the middle. So here was this flat line of kids and all of a sudden this high peak then it flatlined again to the other end. And the kid on the end got the ball first, and he was, you could tell he was pretty equipped. He was dribbling. He had his eyes forward. He wasn't looking at the basketball, dribbling between his legs. And so you could tell that he had, he had some experience. And as the ball moved closer to me, um, I got really nervous because my dad hadn't really gotten to the part when he was training me about, you hit the ball and it comes back and you just keep hitting it, right? And so we hadn't gotten to that dribbling thing yet. And interestingly enough, I was wearing a size 14, 15 shoe. And I don't know if you've ever seen a basketball hit a size 15. And it hits it and goes all the way down the other end of the court. I had to run down and get it. I wasn't very good at dribbling, basically. So I got it and I came back and stood in my place in line. And I was wanting to try it again. And the coach said, next. So I, I ended on a pretty bad note on the dribbling part, but I passed it to the next guy, and then the next drill came, the next drill, and that two hours had to be two of the toughest hours I'd ever gone through in my entire life. I mean, it was hard. And 
the only positive thought I had was, well, I am closer to the rim than all these guys, so I think that might count for something. I left that day uh, with the instructions because back then, you know, nowadays when a kid tries out for something, they'll email them or they'll text them or something. Obviously, didn't have that technology back then. So the coach said, tomorrow on my door, you walk by my office, you'll see a piece of paper on the door and it'll have a list of names, about 12 or 13 names. If your name is on that list, you've made the team. And I remember going home that night, that day of tryouts, and and not being able to sleep that night. I was so excited for the next day. When's the last time that happened, right? You were so excited for the next day to come that you couldn't sleep. And I remember getting off the bus the next day and running, sprinting down the hall to the coach's office to look at that piece of paper. And I got down there, and there were a couple of guys who were just walking away from it. A couple of guys giving each other fives because obviously they made the team. The name was on it. And I stood in front of that piece of paper, and I just stared at it for a second. Maybe five, ten seconds went by. I think I even picked it up and I looked underneath it as if my name was going to magically appear on that piece of paper. Well, obviously it never did. And the more I stared at it, the more out of focus it became because my eyes started watering and and uh, it was a devastating moment for me. And I say devastating because even though I was a young teen, that was really the first time that I had ever really failed at something that I wanted to do, something I wanted very badly. And I didn't know how to react. I mean, there were other kids around me, and I, obviously I was wiping my eye pretending that something was in it. But I found a little spot in the bathroom across the hall in a stall and I sat down and I man I bawled my eyes out because I I hadn't really failed before that was my first experience with failure and uh, if I asked you to think right now about the first time you failed at something how'd that feel what was that like and I always say that the level of pain because that's what failure is right it's pain but the level of pain that you f- you feel when you fail at something is closely related to how much passion you had for it. And I know people who fail at things that don't really care about it because their their passion level wasn't there. They could just throw it by the wayside and move on. Well, this 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 one hurt because now I have to go home and tell my parents that I failed, and of course I know what they're they're going to support me and tell me it's all right and those kind of things, but it took me a minute to get over that because here I was trying to develop this path to success, if you will, trying to be Dr. J because I know that he played organized basketball, so I felt like, man, if I'm going to do this, I've got to find a team to be on. I didn't make the team that year. My fallback, though, I had a fallback. It was that makeshift court in my yard, and I was out there. After I got my chores and homework done, I was out there every day working on what my dad had taught me. Sometimes he'd be there, sometimes he couldn't. And I would be out there. I'd have to go in the house at a certain time because when the sun went down, I couldn't. we had no light, so I couldn't see the rim. But 
Every day before I went in for the night, I'd play this game. Maybe you played it before where you'd have the ball on the team you were on. You were down by a point with five seconds to go and you had the ball in your hand. And you're always someone other than yourself. Of course, you know who I was. I was Dr. J. And as time passed, obviously the school year, eighth grade came. And guess what? I had a good summer. I was 6'7 in the eighth grade. 6'7. There's a poster above the gym door, basketball trials. Didn't hesitate. I knew I was going to walk into that gym to try to prove that I was good enough to make that team. And the coach, uh, Coach Gray, and and folks, I'm not changing his name to protect the innocent at all, but uh, I, I walked into that gym. He put us through the rigorous workouts again. And I was better at, at some things. I had grown. My height helped me. Uh, there were things, obviously, I needed to work on. I wasn't one of the better players in the gym. If I wasn't the worst, I was probably right next to him. Came back the next day. Probably didn't sprint down the hall, but I did a fast walk down to the coach's office and looked at the piece of paper, and guess what? My name was not on that list again. Eighth grade, six, seven. I don't think any of the other guys had even grown during the summer. So I'm standing there, and this is, okay, think about the second time. Maybe you failed at the same thing at the next try. It's a different feeling, right? It's a different feeling because that first time is it's new to you, the feeling, the tears. But that second time, you, you, you start to question yourself. You start to question if you really do have the passion for this. And what are your motives? Why did you show up again? And when I didn't see my name on that list the second time, uh, I, I shed a few tears. And I had a little anger, maybe. Um, I looked around me, and again, the guys who had made the team, I'm like, that guy right there in my mind, I'm thinking, that, that little guy beat me out. So there are a lot of questions in your mind. You know you're going to get the support from that group that always supports you no matter what, no matter how bad you are. But I felt like I needed something else, right? And I didn't know what that was until I walked away from that list that day. I was walking away, and about the time I was walking away from the list, Coach Gray comes out of his office. And he calls my name, Thurl. I turn around, there's the coach. And he walks over in front of me, and he crosses his arms, stood in front of me, and he looked up at me. And he says this. Now, I know what he said word for word because I have it written down in a journal. He said, son, you were not meant to play the sport. He said, you're wasting my time. I don't have time to teach you how to play basketball. I'm looking for guys who can already play, who can bring me a championship this year. And he wasn't finished. He knew I had one more year at Bladensburg Junior High. He said, don't come out for my team next year because you'll be wasting my time and yours so think about it for a second Here, here's a guy who is he knows more about the game than I do obviously he's an important figure he's a, in a leadership position in my eyes he's the coach and he's basically saying you need to go do something else because this is not for you and I didn't didn't break down and cry in front of the coach I basically 
said, okay. Walked away knowing that 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 journey to be Dr. J was probably going to go as far as my fence and my front yard. Because I did have that to fall back on. I could be there anytime I wanted. I could work and be Dr. J whenever I wanted to be. And so I knew that organized basketball at Bladensburg Junior High wasn't going to be the way. But I still had that passion. I remember that feeling I got when I first watched Dr. J sitting next to my dad. And so when I returned to junior high school after the summer at 6-9, I saw the poster above the door, basketball tryouts. Some days I didn't want to look at it, but there were times when I got to the end of the hall and I couldn't help myself. I'd turn and look at it and wish that there was an opportunity that would come my way. And lo and behold, as we all know, opportunities do come. One, if you're prepared for them and you work hard enough, but it came in a weird way, a different way for me. Coach Gray got better pay. Oh, that rhymed. Didn't really plan on that, but Coach Gray got better pay at another school. He took a job at another school as coach. So he was gone from Bladensburg Junior High. They hired another guy. Didn't know him. He didn't know me. Michael Cole was his name. Coach Cole. And um, I'm thinking, what in the world would take me back into that gym for a potential another disappointment? You know, and I, I, I rhetorically asked that question to you. And what, what would take you back to that place? That place that you know that potentially pain is waiting for you? Are you passionate enough to really walk through those doors again? To do something that you really really want to do and I'll tell you why I walked in I didn't know this coach from Adam he didn't know me but the one thing that took me back was I knew how failure felt already right I I, I knew what that pain felt like it wasn't going to be a new feeling for me if I got cut again but if I did not go back and at least try to do something I know I'm passionate about even if it is about a guy who I want to be like, that I would regret it later. And those people around me, those positive people, they made me understand that. They gave me the choice, but they made me understand. So I went back, and let me tell you how different it was. The coach was standing outside of the door, welcoming everybody and shook every single hand. It had to be 50, 60 of us trying out for the team. Once we got in the door, he shut the door, and he looked at us all and said, guys, congratulations. Say congratulations to everybody in the room. We thought it was kind of weird, but he said, congratulations for walking through those doors. Can't keep all of you. But there's some kids out there that wanted, wanted to be here, but decided not to decided not to walk through the door. You guys decided. That's a big step. He said, good luck. I think we can put together a pretty good team. Throughout the whole practice, it was interesting because I think every kid in that room thought they had a shot. For some way, shape, or form, that coach approached them and said something positive to them. Came up to me and said, Thurl, I think you can be a pretty good shot blocker. And it made me feel good. He said, oh, he said, 
I think you can be pretty good. And I, I realized that I was always guarding a shorter guy. He'd shoot it. I put my hand in the air, and the ball hit my hand. Well, hey, that's a block shot in basketball. So he saw something there. At the end of the day, the rules were the same. The next day we would come, and there'd be a piece of paper on his door, and I meandered down the hall the next day, and I got to the piece of paper. I was probably about five to six feet from it when the name started to come into focus. And let me tell you, it was the greatest day of my life when I saw my name. And it was kind of cool because I was the first name on the list. He had them numbered. I was number one. So I'm thinking, I know he thought of me first, right? And I realized it was alphabetical order, right? So <laughs> it was good to have your last name start with a B. Um, but I was still excited nonetheless to make that basketball team and and let me tell you the reality of it is I knew I wasn't very good. I knew I wasn't good. Again, if I wasn't the worst one, I was right next to him. And making that team that year didn't change my life. I mean, it was big. It taught me some things. But you know as well as I do, when you accomplish things, even simple things, other things tend to come with that that you never expected I started every game think about it I'm not that good but I started every game and what changed my life though was two days after I made the team I got called to the coach's office a little nervous but I walked in there he wasn't there I sat down in a chair and his assistant told me he was on his way but I'm sitting in there by myself, and he walks in, he sits on the desk, on top of his desk in front of me. And of course, I, I wasn't trying to make like consistent eye contact, so I kept looking down until he, he didn't speak for a minute. He said, son, look at me. So I looked up at him, and he said, if you want to be a great basketball player, you've got a lot of work to do. I remember I was six feet nine, and really just new to the game. I just starting to come around and he emphasized the word a lot but then he said but if you if you want to make a commitment and I learned what that word meant at a very young age if you want to make a commitment I will come in one hour before we practice as a team to work with you individually and after we practice as a team I'll come one hour I'll stay one hour later to work with you after you've got to find a ride home and I'm thinking in my mind, this coach is talking about putting in one hour with me, two hours with the team, and another hour after. That's four hours of his time. Why in the world would a guy who doesn't know me that well do that? And he told me, and this is what changed my life and my, my outlook and my lens. He said, son, I see potential in you. I see potential in you you don't even see in yourself. And I think I can help bring that out if this is what you want. Now, that commitment doesn't just mean basketball. you got to be coachable at home, in the classroom. Uh, you've got to not hang around with people who are going to drain the energy out of you that are going nowhere. And I, I said, Coach, I, I commit. Raise my hand. Just me and him, I raise my hand like I'm in class. I, I want to make that commitment. And so that, that really changed my life. And I didn't play much that year. 
but I started. Coach said, we need the first possession of the game. And if you know basketball, you know the first possession comes off the jump ball. Here I am, 6'9", my opponent's somewhere near my belly button. I had this ritual. I tried to psych him out. I walk up really close to the guy who was going to jump ball against me. I look down on him. I said, how you doing, little fella? And he frowned. And I said, see this jump ball? Don't even think about it. So I already had my strategy, right? Because I knew the jump ball was important. That would give us the first possession. We can control the tempo. So the ref would come and toss the ball up. That, that kid would jump. And I would barely jump. I'd go on my tiptoes. I'd tap the ball to my teammate. We got every jump ball, every first possession that year. As soon as we got the possession, my coach would stand up and call a timeout. He'd take me out for the rest of the game. So I averaged 2.3 seconds per game in junior high school in the ninth grade. Of course, my parents were proud of me. They didn't miss a game. And people laugh, but I say, listen, that was the proudest 2.3 seconds in my parents' lives. And that's all we talked about on the way home. My mom, baby, that jump ball was beautiful. Can't wait to see you get it again next week. But that coach saw me differently than the other coach did. And I wasn't good enough to play varsity in my first year of high school. I played a year at JV. And it wasn't until like my senior year I started to come around, got a scholarship to North Carolina State that paid for my education. I, I didn't know they were giving deals out like that. You run around with short shorts on and a tank top, throw a ball in a hoop, and you get a free education. I took that deal. Won a national championship at NC State. That's another show I'll talk to you about. But after my college career, I was drafted by the Utah Jazz, seventh pick in the first round. I'm on the bench as a scared, nervous, young rookie. And Coach Frank Layden calls me into the game, one of my first NBA games of my career. I'm standing on the court in Salt Lake City. That night, we're playing the Philadelphia 76ers. And I walk out on the court, and I get a tap on my shoulder by an opponent. He reaches his hand out and he says to me, Thorough, congratulations on a great college season. Welcome to the NBA. As I turned to shake his hand, I first thing that caught my eye was a huge afro. And I was about to shake the hand of the great Dr. J. The same Dr. J I looked I watched on that black and white TV set with the antennas. Same Dr. J I emulated time after time in my yard with five seconds left on the clock. I had made it. No, I couldn't be Dr. J, but I'm standing right next to him. Matter of fact, when I came to my senses, I had to guard him that night. Thrown right into the fire. If I could work hard and just hold Dr. J under his average, maybe it's my turn. Maybe they'll be writing about me in the paper. I don't know if I had ever worked that hard in basketball that day, but I held Dr. J that night to 47 points. Yeah, he wasn't about to score 50 on me that night. No way. (laughs) That's my journey. I, I, I found the true meaning of potential 
and how we see others and how we may see sometimes what they can't see in themselves. That's what Coach Cole saw in me. He saw something that he could work with. He wasn't worried about the benefit to him right away. He was looking long-term. How could this skinny, uncoordinated, pretty good shot blocker kid help this team win the championship? Biggest question I get is, did you ever go back and talk to Coach Gray, the guy that cut you when you made it into the NBA? Absolutely I did. Well, did you rub it in? No. I found him. I found him and I thanked him. I said, Coach, I appreciate it. I learned a lesson, great lesson. No, I wasn't. You didn't have an obligation to keep me on the team. But you really made me decide what I wanted to do if I was passionate enough about it to stick with it. Here's some tickets to the night's Jazz versus Washington Bullets game. How do you see others? What lens do you look through? You see potential? Not even others. Do you see potential in yourself? Are you willing to stay with something and continue to be passionate about it and not just let it go by the wayside? Pursue it. Take a little risk. Not be afraid of the pain of failure. I think you've got potential. Thanks for joining us today on Thorough Talk. We'll see you next week.